Amen. Well, uh, you probably heard earlier us talking about uh, Trinity Vision Sunday, or sorry, Wednesday coming up. And you might have heard that we sent out a survey, which is trying to prompt people to think and pray about what should our priorities be as a church uh, for this next year. And there's space in there for people to fill in ideas that we as the elders aren't thinking about. You know, what have we missed? Is there an idea or a particular thing you have in mind that you want us to think about on that, on that vision night? And um, some responses have been coming in, and every single one of them is unanimous. Uh, when they add one thing, they say, here's the silver bullet to, to just grow the ministry and, and please the Lord in the new year. Preach on giving more. You don't believe me? Every Sunday, right? Like, do a whole month of giving sermons. Like, give me more giving sermons is, is the way one person phrased it. Of course, I'm joking. Uh, why do we cringe when a pastor gets up and starts preaching on a giving? Uh, you could probably offer many answers of your own. Um, but certainly, some of the abuses that are out there of, of finances, uh, abuses of the gospel, prosperity, gospel preachers who use verses like this, uh, we have in mind. Uh, certainly, a, a world that would critique the church in general and want to sort of spin things to say it's sort of self-seeking. There's many things we could point to, uh, but, and we'll look at some of those today, but what if, what if giving wasn't detached from the gospel? Uh, what if... Our giving was a command of our Lord that actually flowed out of the abundance that we receive in Jesus Christ. In many ways, like any other obedience, as we serve, as we, as we give of our time, and, and, and other things as well. Um, what, if, what if our giving actually did something to us? Uh, when, when Jesus says, you know, where the treasure is, there the heart is also. Um, we think there's over 2,000 times that the Bible speaks about money, um, the Bible isn't ashamed to talk about it because the Bible knows the heart of the human. Uh, what if it was not just a duty but a delight, uh, something to be cheerful and joyous and regular? What if we saw it as an investment in the kingdom of God? Uh, even as the times we're in are dire, we're thinking, how do we invest in something that is going to outlast us and that we can give to the next generation? What if giving was part of that? And so we call it today the ministry of joyful giving. And Christian, I do want to convince you uh, today in this brief sermon, Lord willing, to give regularly, to give joyfully, uh, to give intentionally, to give prayerfully. In other words, to make giving to, to the local church, to foreign missionaries, to those in need around you. There's a plethora of ways that we, that we outpour, but make that a regular part of your Christian life if it's not already. Let's look then at three points as I think Paul wants to convince his hearers um, to, to do the same in a more focused way as we'll see in the context. Uh, but the first point is this, a joyful giving bears abundant uh, fruit. Joyful giving bears abundant fruit. And you see that in verse six, uh, Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, let's set the context so that we know what we're talking about. It's always interesting sort of parachuting into a, a larger book uh, for a sermon like this, unlike our Luke study. 
which is our bread and butter, is to go through books of the Bible. Uh, but let, let's just set the context first. You know, we're calling this a ministry at Trinity sermon. We've had a few others that are on the website. If, if you find them helpful, we've talked about elders and officers. We've talked about 1 Peter 4 and using our gifts as a church. Uh, we've looked at Acts 2 and said, what's the church devoted to? What, what are we to be about and busy with? Uh, my goal is that those would be an archive for you over time, including this sermon, that uh, would it, sermons that have to do with the life of the church. And, and we see giving as part of that life of the church. Next week, we'll look at Matthew 28, Lord willing, and, and the mission of the church um, before we turn to priorities for next year. And so that's the context here. If we're going to talk about priorities, um, then we need to talk about giving, Right? Uh, we know in sort of every other realm of life um, that whether we like to think about it or not, uh, money has something to do with uh, what happens in our family budgets, what happens uh, in, in the priorities we set as a family, as a church, as ministries. And so that's sort of the, the why question. But now the context of 2 Corinthians. You might know, of course, Paul wrote this letter, uh, we think around 55 AD. You're probably familiar that he wrote 1 Corinthians and then we think there was a second letter that it, it was not scripture, but written by Paul to the Corinthians, uh, which he refers to as a harsh letter. Uh, the Corinthians were an imperfect church, uh, unlike us, and so Paul had to keep writing to them. Uh, and in fact, in the early church, the, the books of Clement, which aren't scripture, but uh, were still writing to the Corinthian church saying, come on, guys. Um, and so that, that gives us hope, perhaps. Paul's writing after that harsh letter, and it, 2 Corinthians has a somber tone. He's still asking them to repent. He's still saying, we need to reconcile a bit when it comes to the leadership and, and you. Um, but interestingly, he has two chapters devoted to uh, his teaching on preparing to give for the saints in Jerusalem. Chapter 8 and 9 focus on this. Um, you'll see, and you could just hear or glance back, chapter 8, uh, verse 7. He says, As you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Isn't that great? He, he calls this giving that they're going to do an act of grace. Um, and then chapter 9, right? Paul isn't sort of sheepish about talking about money and giving, and he, he puts it this way in chapter 9, verse 3. He says, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. In other words, at the beginning of chapter 9, he's saying, I'm sending so that when I come, you could be ready to give an offering, and we're going to bring that to the saints in Jerusalem uh, who were struggling at the time. This was the pattern of the early church, of course, that as these churches were starting and struggling and, and, and not in cultural prominence at all, um, as one church suffered, other churches would rally around and bring funds to that church. Um, it's sort of the principle of Acts 4, that there was no needy among them because when a need came up, the church rose to meet the need. This applied on a broader level as well in the churches. And so the context for Paul, he's not so much directly talking about regular giving as part of the Christian life. Here it's focused first on uh, prepare, right? I'm coming, prepare this offering that's going to go to the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, but what the principles he gives, I think, applies to a broader life of giving that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. So what's his first argument? Verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap 
bountifully. He uses a, an agrarian metaphor. And, and the point is pretty obvious, right? A, a farmer, no farmer goes out and when it's planting time says, okay, I'm going to plant three seeds and, and I'm just going to pray that each of them grow because that's like the bare minimum that we need. <laughs> and, and so he goes and he plants three seeds and then just kind of crosses his fingers. No, uh, a farmer sows abundantly, knowing that not every seed is, is going to grow and, 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 and want to have plenty uh, for the season ahead. And Paul's making the same argument. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Perhaps you have piles of zucchini like we do. <laughs> Maybe we should have sowed more sparingly uh, in that case. Uh, but that's a picture. We have just this overflowing bowl of zucchinis. I, when I preached in Grants Pass a, a few months ago, you know, someone was there giving away their zucchinis. I feel like every church foyer has a box of zucchinis that are just need a home. Uh, someone to love them, right? Um, but it, So we know what that abundance looks like, and, and Paul's saying, hey, prepare to give. My first argument is that your giving isn't wasting. It's not disappearing. It's an investment. Uh, it will reap a harvest. It will bear abundant fruit. But what kind of fruit is Paul talking about? Um, because now your radars are probably going up because you've heard this language from prosperity preachers who, who even say things like, yeah, whatever you sow in faith, you'll, you'll reap that reward in your career. Or you'll reap that reward in your paycheck. Sort of a, a one-to-one transactional relationship with God, right? That if I'm faithful, if I give so much, then God will be proportionally faithful to me and even bless me with health and wealth and prosperity, all of it. Um, so the kind of fruit he's talking about, first of all, is not the prosperity gospel. It is not the prosperity gospel. But just to illustrate uh, the depravity of this, um, Kenneth Copeland is one such prosperity preacher. You can go to their website and see this article that I'm about to reference. January 12, 2018. At least they're bold enough to just put it out there. Um, it says, uh, glory to God, it's ours. The Gulfstream 5 is in our hands. Uh, Gulfstream 5 is a private jet, uh, paid uh, $3 million, which actually is a deal, which sounds weird, but uh, by, all by church funds, by volunteer giving. Uh, and they say this, it's because of you, the faithful uh, KCM, Kenneth Copeland Ministries team, combined with the blessings of a faithful God. In fact, earlier this year, when the leadership team met to pray and hear from the Lord, the word we heard was harvest. Yes, harvest, harvest, harvest. Do you see how they're ripping right from here? The Lord reminded us that through our team giving together, we have sown into KCM a Citation 10, that was a previous jet that they still have, a state-of-the-art HD TV truck, and now we've sown a Gulfstream 5, all of which are producing a bountiful harvest for every single team member. Do you see how they're twisting the language here? That somehow a human being can sow into a, a particular, like, God, I want a private jet. Um, and, and, and they show their true colors. They say there's more work to do. <laughs> um, we, th- there's upgrades to be made on the jet, upwards to the tune of $2.5 million. Uh, there's a hangar we want to build for $17 million. And so we're asking you now to set your faith on receiving those funds, to sow it within the next three or to four months, And so what is God putting on your heart to set to in faith? 
That's the obvious example, right? And, and even that is deceiving many people because they, they're ra- they will raise that $17 million, I know it. So, it, it, so, so it's easy to sort of, sort of turn the thumb, but perhaps closer to home, perhaps you've had the experience in, in a not as extreme, maybe even gospel preaching church, and yet funds have been mishandled or things have been sort of done behind closed doors and you sort of wonder why is money funneling toward this leadership thing there and not toward this need here? And when I ask questions of the church leadership, they just don't even want to have that conversation. Or you've seen gross negligence or abuse done financially within the church, within the church even by pastors. I think that's a lot of why people cringe when you say, this Sunday we're going to uh, preach on giving. Uh, but of course we would say, uh, that abuse doesn't negate proper use. And the kind of fruit that Paul has in mind then, just very quickly, it's not the prosperity gospel. It's not the one-to-one, you see this and then you get this. Uh, but there is a harvest of blessing uh, for those who would give and all over Scripture. But even just here in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, you know, at chapter 9, verse 12, it's a harvest of blessing for those served, right? And that's direct for Paul's context. They're the more you give Corinthian church, the more we'll be able to bless the Jerusalem church. I mean, it's just, it makes sense, right? It's, it's practical. You sow more, they will reap more uh, benefit. Uh, chapter, at the end of uh, the section 9, 14 through 15, it, it's a harvest of thanksgiving uh, to God. He ends sort of in doxology, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. In verse 10, it's a harvest of righteousness for the giver. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, not earning, not your righteousness that you might please God and be saved. No, you belong to him. Uh, giving does something to you. It's shaping you. Uh, it's making you more righteous, more like Christ. And lastly, it's an investment in the kingdom of God. Remember, we looked long ago at, at, at Jesus' parable of of uh, where he, he, he goes away and he leaves a certain amount of funds with his servants and he says, get busy until I come back. Uh, multiply. Uh, invest in the kingdom. Uh, and and it, it, this becomes a precious remedy against our, our fearful closed-fistedness. Um, our fearful closed-fistedness. Uh, John Calvin puts it this way. Let this doctrine be deeply rooted in our minds that whenever carnal reasons keep us back from doing good through fear of loss, we may immediately defend ourselves with this shield. Uh, quote, but the Lord declares that we are sowing, we are investing. In other words, when, when your heart would say, oh, I want to keep it closed, I don't want too much to come out, you preach to yourself and you say, no, 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 this isn't wasting, this is investing in the kingdom. This is investing in things that will outlast me. Uh, Who knows in the new heavens and the new earth what faces and brothers and sisters you will meet that, let's just think about the OPC thank offering, that God used your small gift to even just that offering, to world missions, and now you have a brother and sister in the new heavens and the new earth. You've never met this side of heaven who thank you, uh, that your investment actually led them, was used by God. And so joyful giving bears abundant fruit. That's his first argument. Number two, joyful giving requires willing hearts. If the first was to convince you, maybe the second is to ask, what kind of giving are we talking about? 
What kind of giving are we talking about? Um, <clears throat> he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we thought after the sermon it was appropriate, we'll do about three or four offerings just to really get it. <laughs> you know, I know there's someone else out there. Uh, no, uh, it, it, that's not the image that he has. Paul is urging them. There is a command to give, um, but it, it's done willingly, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Right? It's the difference between uh, hug your brother and a Kickstarter campaign, right? So when siblings fight and then you have them say sorry and then you say hug your brother. <laughs> um, is that always the most willing <laughs> hug in the world? It's good. It, it's shaping them. So I'm not saying it's a bad practice. Uh, versus... It, it, I'm convinced that, just look at one Kickstarter campaign. One of the most funded recently uh, was called the Coolest Cooler. And it's aptly named because it's a 21st century cooler that is actually cooler. Clever, I guess. But 62,000 backers uh, pledged 13,285,000. They could have built a hangar, right? Uh, 226,000. I would guarantee you that none of them were a reluctant giver. They saw the cooler and said, that is cooler, and they gave money. Maybe the only reluctant giver maybe was like the mom of the you know, founders or something. She just felt like she had to. Um, but no, when, when we find something that we see the value in, there's no reluctancy. Like We see the end and we say, I, I want that. I, I, desire, I see the usefulness of that. And if we would have that kind of kingdom vision, and here it says a cheerful giver pleases the Lord, that's what we want to do, that's what we're made to do, so that it's not reluctantly, it's not under compulsion, it's as we have decided in our hearts uh, to give. And so we're not talking about percentages here, that, that could be a different conversation. Here Paul just focuses on, and I'll ask you, have you decided uh, in your heart what you'll be giving toward the church, toward missions, toward the people around you in this valley. Paul is unabashed that this is part of the Christian life. Have you as a family sat down and prayed and talked and, I mean, talk with your kids and say, man, how, how would God want us to use our money? So even as a church, as we're trying to set priorities for next year, how are you thinking through and saying, what does it look like for me to give regularly, joyfully, with an eye toward investing in the kingdom? I would encourage you very practically set some time aside and pray and ask questions and make a much longer list than you could possibly give toward this next year, but just say what if and, and think about how God might want to um, uh, use you in the sense that the Christian life is, is open-handed, receiving abundant grace from the Lord, and the hands stay open so that it out, outflows to our neighbors, to the church, to, uh, to our community, toward missions. Young people, um, if you're under 18, can you raise your hand quickly? Not just at heart, in, in real life, okay? Start, start now, young people. I was given that advice when I was your age. It, it feels like, okay, when I have a paycheck someday, then I'll give. <laughs> It'll be easier because I'll have more money. Um, but anyone can tell you that the more you have, the harder it is to give away. Um, and there's this human nature thing that happens where we tend to live into however much money we have and a little bit beyond a little bit beyond. And so young people start now, even if it's small, and just make it a regular part, a joyful part of seeing money come in and out uh, for the Lord. Our, our brothers and sisters in Klamath Falls, uh, just to brag on them, are, are modeling this for us. 
in a way that we're a more established church. There's many ministries going on, and 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 for them, it's 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 very direct. It's as they're preparing to call a pastor, um, they know like we need to give generously and save and get prepared, and 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 so that we can call a minister here. Um, and even that's uh, risky. Church planting is hard. They don't all succeed. Like they're they're throwing a lot of time and energy and money, but they see it as an investment in the kingdom but beyond just their lives. And so we, we should follow their lead in our in our regular and joyful giving. And, and, and as a practical thing, again, that OPC thank offering. If if you're not in the practice of regularly giving, just start there. Uh, what's more direct than saying, okay? Christian education, church planting, world missions, okay, that's worthy of, of my time and energy and funds. So, so start there if you need somewhere to start. This kind of joyful giving pleases, pleases the Lord, pleases the Lord. And lastly, joyful giving demands abundant grace. Joyful giving demands abundant grace. This kind of giving it becomes one of those impossible commands. Uh, as human nature is to have closed fists uh, with what we've been given. And so for him to pry them open is a work of the Spirit. And I, I love verse 8. It, it, it just meditate here on, on the abundant language that he uses, literally. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Can you see how he's, he's addressing the, the fearful person in all of us who, okay, sow abundantly, reap abundantly. Okay, I, I got to be willing, cheerful giver. Um, but what about inflation, <laughs> Paul? Uh, wh- what about us struggling just to make ends meet? I mean, and Paul is addressing that fear and pointing right to the sovereign God and saying he is able to make grace abound to you so that at the end of it, you, you could abound in every good work. And he's writing to people who are rich. He's writing to people who are poor. He's writing to people who are and will be suffering persecution. So this isn't like a naive prosperity gospel. Um, this is that even in the midst of those difficulties, um, and Christian, maybe today, maybe God has you in a period of suffering heavy enough that it, 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 certainly you're also called to give, and that's part of the Christian life, but maybe that's not what you need to hear today. Maybe you need to hear verse 8, that in every season, when you feel the most empty, uh, when you feel like, I, I just get up and, and, and try to get through the day, how am I investing in the kingdom? hear this promise. God is able to make all grace abound to you in that season, whether in life or death, so that having all sufficiency at, at all times, every season, you may abound in every good work. In other words, he, he has work for you to do, even if it's just modeling faith, modeling prayer. Uh, your church is watching you and seeing that, and, 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 and that's reaping an abundant harvest as we see your faithfulness to God. And of course, this brings us to the gospel, and, and, and as always, we want to start and end uh, with, um, with the gospel. But it, it, it's, um, again, that our giving is not antithetical to the gospel. It flows uh, out of the gospel. 
And as we've said recently, no false gospel can give you verse 8. No false gospel can say, yes, there's a command to give. Oh, and by the way, God is going to give what he commands. And he is going to abound grace to you so that it would just flow into your hands, out of your hands. Uh, Every false gospel would say something else. Uh, For instance, um, uh, R.B. Kuyper in his work, The Glorious Body of Christ, puts it this way. He says, the word gospel means good news. That which is preached as gospel in so many churches is not even news, let alone good news. He says, suppose a man has been found guilty, shall we say, of a, of a heinous crime and has been sentenced to death. He is now in prison, awaiting the day of his execution. A friend comes to visit him and the friend calls out, I have good news for you. Eagerly, the condemned man asks, well, what is it? And the answer comes, be good. Be good. In that message, there is not so much as a shred of good news. It's the most cruel mockery. Yet many self-styled a minister of Christ holds forth to sinners under the sentence of eternal death precisely the equivalent message as if it were the gospel. Paul says in, earlier in chapter 8, he says in, in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He grounds all of this in the gospel. The Christ who gave everything, who, who came to this earth, was, uh, was born as a human being, and that in a low condition. He suffered, he died, he literally gave himself, his life, for his people, so that they would be rich, so that an abundant harvest of grace would come to them in forgiveness of sins, in adoption as part of God's family, and being justified, and, and all the good things that flow out of that. If he didn't spare his only son, how will he not graciously also, through his son, give us all things? It, it, it's abundant language of the gospel, and it doesn't stop with just conversion. I, I do pray if you're here today and Jesus isn't your Savior, receive that. Receive Christ who gave everything so that you would have forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't stop there. It's not as if we become Christians and then that friend comes and says, be good. No, Paul says be good. Paul says give. Paul says serve. All the commands. But then he says he will make all grace abound to you. He will give you exactly what you need. You will get the help. He will get all the glory. And it it will bear abundant fruit in others' lives in every season. We say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want in life or death, he will give you what you need. And so, Christian, make joyful giving an ordinary part of your Christian life. Make it an ordinary part of your Christian life. Uh, one author puts it this way, make your lives one long gift to others. And we would say, make your lives one long investment in the kingdom of God, and your families, in your church, in this valley, in world missions, all of it. To sort of illustrate that what this could look like as the Spirit works in our hearts, think of, and I see some of you do this with your kids, that on Sunday you sort of prepare and, and, and you give them a dollar or something to put in the offering plate. And what a great way to model, and, and they feel it, and they see what it's like. Sort of learning that muscle memory of, of giving. Um, but 
think of the heart of your child. Are they anxious to give that dollar away? No, because they know it's not theirs anyway. You gave it to them freely and and, 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 and the purpose is to put in the offering plate. And so what if you said, actually, let's keep that one this Sunday. <laughs> they would protest <laughs> because you've decided already, right, uh, in your heart. And so think of that joyful giving, that freedom to give that says, I am my father's and he is mine. And he has handed me this measly dollar in this short life that I've lived. I, I want to see it given away uh, because I belong to him and I'm anxious for nothing. He will give me all that I need, uh, so that I could abound in every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the overabundance of grace, uh, that he is able to save to the uttermost those uh, who trust in him. I pray that everyone here has put their trust in you, and if not, that your spirit will be opening eyes and hearts to receive this Christ, this grace, this gospel. As we receive it, I pray that you would help it Uh, help by your spirit that it would spill over and overflow, uh, that our hands would be open, our eyes would be open. Uh, Use us, Lord. Uh, Use us for your glory. Spend us and our lives for your sake. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name.